It's your Friday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for the last show of the week. We think, at least, unless there's more breaking news, special deliveries that needed to be um, constructed today. But uh, don't think that'll be the case. There was one yesterday, if you missed that, off of the uh, news, the breaking news that Lindsey Whalen was stepping down as Gophers women's basketball coach. Um, Chip Scoggins hopped on with me yesterday, so go back and listen to that if you would. Um, we'll cover that a little bit more on today's show. Got some wild thoughts at the end of today's show as well. Um, Derek Falvey, Chief Baseball Officer for the Twins, will join me here in just a few minutes as well to talk about that team, to talk about the Carlos Correa kind of roller coaster from this offseason, to talk about the roster building in general and where he sees the direction of this team headed into 2023. First, though, what did I miss like I hinted at? Let's spend a little bit of time here talking about the emotion of a day for the Gophers that was wildly different uh, between the Gophers women's program and the Gophers men's program. And Chip and I talked quite a bit again on Thursday about kind of the news of the day, that the why, the what, what happens next, things like that. But you know, we thought at that point, at the time we recorded, that we would hear from Lindsey Whalen at uh, at the at the news conference in a couple hours after we recorded. Um, Kent Youngblood setting the scene at that news conference. Um, excellent uh, women's basketball beat writer said at the news conference. As the news conference neared Thursday afternoon, two microphones at the table became one. Lindsey Whalen would not be there. In what athletic director Mark Coyle described as an emotional day at the University of Minnesota, he said that he and Whalen had agreed that her time as head women's basketball coach would end Thursday after five seasons. Whalen was upstairs in the Athletes' Village in an emotional meeting with staff and players, and she was scheduled to come down. Not reading from the story anymore. She was scheduled to come down, but then she tweeted later what happened. She said, Closed circuit to all local media. I will be, quote, appearing and, quote, showing up for a press conference in the near future. My sincere apologies for not being there today as I was overcome with emotion in the elevator on my way to the press conference. I am a human being. And I think we can all understand that, right? Um, anybody who's been around Lindsey Whalen for any duration of time, and, and I certainly have, don't know her as well as some, but she's been on the show numerous times. The last time I had her on was at the State Fair. Um, I think it was late August, early September, obviously, this past year. Um, you know, she's always got that kind of dry sense of humor. She's always, you know, positive in, in the Lindsay Whalen, positive kind of way, kind of determined, has that sense about her that she will get things done. And I think she had that kind of optimism about this year's team, right? She had some freshmen that she really liked. She liked the, the the opportunity ahead. She thought this was a team that could be in the mix, at least, for the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, they started the year 2-14 and 14 in the Big Ten before a couple nice wins at the end of the year. And then that bad loss to Penn State in the Big Ten tournament, which Mark Coyle, athletic director, said did not factor into the decision. It sounds like this was something that kind of had been building up over the course of a year. I'm reading again from Kent's story, just kind of gleaning from it, that, you know, basically over the course of that amount of time, they'd had a couple of different meetings, and including one three or four weeks ago, talking about the kind of the direction of the program. 
Um, they met. Uh, they met at the final four. Um, then they met. Uh, met at the final four a year ago. And then Coyle said, "This morning we met, talking about Thursday. We thought it was in the best interest of the program and for her as a person that she stepped down." Um, and it said, "You know, uh, you know, basically." that you know just not getting the job done that this was a mutual decision he says go back five years and look what's happened in college athletics there was a lot thrown at all our coaches not just Lindsay talking about the transfer portal name image likeness the covid pandemic it was a tough tough time for any coach including a first year coach or a first time coach said um I was pleased with the way she ran our program you could see the student athletes how much they care for her how much she cares for them and how much her staff cares for her and how much she cares for them. And to that, to that degree, um, one of her players, Mara Braun, one of her best uh, freshmen, tweeted late last night, I wish we could have won more games so this didn't have to happen. This has been a very disappointing day, and I want to thank Lindsey, Whalen, and staff for an amazing freshman year. I was fortunate to learn a lot this year from a group of great people. I'll forever be thankful. Now, there'll be time to talk about who's staying, who's going, what impact this might have on that excellent freshman class. There will be time to talk about other things. Right now, the emotion of it is pretty raw, right? Obviously, the emotion overcoming Lindsey Whalen, understandably so in the moment. This is someone who has had so much success in her career, and I don't even want to label this a failure because she tried something that was very daunting, right? She was paid very well to do it, so I don't feel sorry for her, but I do feel her disappointment. I do understand the emotion that would come from this, from having an opportunity and then having this all of a sudden be not what she's going to be doing anymore, even if it was, you know, even if it was in Coyle's terms, mutually agreed upon. Um, You know, we'll, we'll find out probably more from her when we do hear from her. Like she said, she wants still to talk to the media. This just was not the time. So, Feeling the emotion of that right now, feeling bad for Lindsey Whalen, feeling her pain, understanding her pain, I think is an important part of this process because, like she said, these are humans. She lost her job. She's still getting paid for a couple of years. She's still going to be a special assistant. I get all that. She's going to be fine. But emotionally, this is a heavy toll, and I think we lose sight of that sometimes when someone loses their job, when someone's traded, things like that. Now, the other side of the emotional roller coaster on Thursday – the men's team, um, Ben Johnson's had a lousy week. Uh, he's had a lousy year, to be honest. Um, Gophers one Big Ten win going into Thursday, looking like it would become another loss of that same vein. They're trailing Rutgers by 10 points with a little over a minute left. And then all of a sudden, Jamison Battle starts raining threes. Um, they, they get a couple turnovers in there. They get some the missed free throw. All of a sudden, it's down to a two-point game with about five seconds left. Battle comes down, gets one more crack at a three, and nails it at the buzzer. Lengthy review. They call it good. 75-74 win for the Gophers. Does not change a single thing really about the season in terms of, you know, are they going to make the tournament? Of course they're not unless they have a miraculous run in the Big Ten. But some positive momentum for the Gophers in that vein. And then not long after that, Ben Johnson gets some more good news. You know, after the whole Dennis Evans saga this week with, you know, losing, that was exactly a week ago that Dennis Evans decided he wanted to get out of his national letter of intent. After that, um, you get to, you get a big decision from uh, from Cherry Guard, uh, from Cherry's uh, Isaac Asuma, 
decides Thursday night, late Thursday, after his high school game, he commits to the Gophers, a top 150 recruit in the 2024 class, coming to the Gophers. So what a range of emotions for both programs. What a range of emotions for Ben Johnson. Some good news for him, and we'll see what the future holds in both of these cases. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, I am really happy to have Twins Chief Baseball Officer Derek Falvey on with me right now. Derek is in Florida right now. Now he's said he's sometimes will pull down the curtains so that people who see him in his sunny 80s office, um, not talking about the decade 80s, I'm talking about the temperature, don't get too jealous if they are not down there. But uh, Derek has left the curtains open for me to see. Looks nice down there, Derek. I hope you are enjoying it so far. Oh, thanks, Mike. I'm, I'm hoping maybe the sunshine here can, can go right through our, our, our Zoom and our, <laughs> and our podcast here that people can feel it on the other end up there. We'll bring it north eventually. Yes. Uh, hopefully it'll come along with us at the end of the month. It's going to be a little while, but that's okay. Yeah, that, that's why people go down there. That's why you are, you are there right now to get a to get a pulse on this team. Um, and before we get into some of the things we've seen already in these handful of, of spring games, I, I want to engage you a little bit just on the process of this offseason because Derek, it's been a journey. Um, I don't want to re-traumatize you and take you back too much through the Carlos Correa negotiations and how that all played out eventually happily. But as you've maybe had a chance to reflect a little bit now, it's been a little while since that all happened. And now Carlos Correa, of course, with the twins um, signing that deal for at least six years could be more. Um, how, How do you even process where you kind of the range of emotions you probably felt along the way? You know, I, I think back to the, this offseason, and as crazy as this is going to sound, despite the Carlos Correa realities and the saga, this was the most normal offseason that we've had probably in three or four years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go back to COVID and the realities of coming out of COVID and dealing with, you know, the, the unique challenges that obviously that presented for the world, but certainly for our sport and for how we ran our seasons. Uh, then then the lockout ultimately right. and, and a, a period of time with uncertainty around how our roster was going to be built and the need to dead sprint last March. Uh, mid-March to try and get our roster in place for opening day. You know, this offseason, despite the uniqueness of the Carlos realities, felt more normal than most and, and, and in many ways allowed us to prepare and, and, and get into our process in late October and early November and into December like normal. Um, obviously, unique realities to the Carlos situation. As I process that particular piece going backward now, yeah. I you know now that I've seen Carlos, I've been around him a ton, I've spent time with him in the clubhouse, the thing that I'm so appreciative of is that we maintain that connection, that relationship, that 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 deep appreciation for one another, because I really do feel he's in the right spot and we have the right player in our clubhouse. Yeah, and no, that's a good point. I mean, because I do feel like he he had been communicating with you guys that this was, you know, that there was nothing ever, you know, even when he had agreed to terms with the Giants or the Mets, that it wasn't that he didn't like Minnesota. He still had a lot of, had a lot of good connections here from that from that first season here. Um, and along those lines, I mean, when you think about what he was able to do in that first year and then also, you know, going into this offseason, that's a pretty big contingency to be thinking like, <clears throat> how does this roster look potentially with him versus without him? And obviously 
you were prepared for that if that was the eventuality. But that's a pretty big like it. It must feel a lot better for you to look at this roster and say, Carlos Correa is on our team right now. Oh, there, there's no question. It, we we said that at the outset. You know, we made it a priority to to target Carlos Correa. We we had said that at the end of the season, he was the first offer we made as soon as free agency began, and he had opted out of his contract. We said that all along, but we also recognized there was a market, and there were 29 other clubs that probably would have interest in Carlos Correa in some way, shape, or form. So we knew there was going to be a process to that. Uh, as we were going through that, we weren't we were doing other business as well, right, Christian. Vasquez was a guy we targeted probably two days after we made that offer to Carlos Correa. I think we sure. made one to Christian. We knew he was somebody we wanted a part of this. So we had to do our other our jobs to figure out, okay, how does the rest of this roster look? But we never wanted to close that door. And ultimately, you know, there were trade conversations. There were other free agent discussions that were happening. All of those have to happen. But we always had our eye on how does this look with Carlos as a part of the team and feel very fortunate that because of the process and the way it played out, uh, that we ultimately ended up with him back here in a Twins uniform for a long time. You know, and one piece that Correa brings, and I'm glad you brought up Vasquez too, is it, <clears throat> it feels like defensively, up the middle particularly, but all around the diamond, you you are positioned pretty well this season when you think about, you know, Carlos Correa at shortstop, Vasquez, a, a well-regarded defensive catcher, your defensive outfield, you know, Byron Buxton speaks for himself, but, you know, some of the acquisitions, acquisitions you've made there and still having... um Max Kepler on the roster right now feels like you are set pretty well defensively. And I guess my question for you along that lines is, you know, I think the identity of the twins in 2019 was very clear. It was, there was the Bomba squad. You hit 307 home runs and <clears throat> naturally that's going to evolve. I would imagine just as different players leave different players enter different stages of their career. But as you went into this off season, was it, was it intentional to, create a certain identity and, and was that you know maybe a shaping of this roster into you know a defense pitching like obviously you want to do everything but it feels like if there's a strength or a way you might win games it might be with some of the moves you've made defense and pitching uh at the forefront yeah i think you know michael to to really think about our the evolution of our roster some of it's some of it's organic, some of it's natural. Right. You know, many yeah. of the players that existed on that 19 team are still a part of this club, and we are going to lean on heavily. You know, the Byrons, Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler, you know, so many other players that were part of that crew then are still part of this crew now. And I think that when we continue to evolve our team, we have to respond to different things that are happening. And there have been rule changes, you know, in the game. One of the reasons yeah. we targeted Christian early on was the recognition that this pitch clock and some of the rules around step off and how many times you can pick to a base – play a role in the running game and, and potentially the increase in seeing some some stolen base frequency. Does that factor into how we think about catching and our catching defense or how our pitchers, how quick they are to the plate, ultimately how we can manage having guys like Michael Taylor on the roster who can go steal a base from time to time and has that kind of speed and ability. So we are definitely evolving our roster to what is out there. At the end of the day, we're just trying to build the best overall team, score more runs than the other team as many times as possible. That's kind of the simple version of our game. However, we can do that. Um, we're trying to do that, but defense was a focus for us this off season. Certainly pitching has been the last couple of years to continue to evolve that. Uh, and we feel we have a good roster that if we stay healthy, can put ourselves in a really good position to compete. I want to circle back on pitching in a minute, but I'm glad you brought up you know the rule changes, the pitch clock, obviously a big one, the shift, um, even just the difference in how the schedule is going to play out this year with fewer games in the division. Um, you know, everybody's kind of got that <clears throat> change, so it's not so much just you, obviously, and everybody's dealing with all these things. But you know, from what you've even seen, just glimpses so far in spring, and just kind of thinking about how these things might play out, how how, how much will this 
I would say fundamentally change the game because it's still the same sport. But what 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 do you envision the impact of some of these changes being on on your team and the game itself? Well, we've had we've been fortunate for some many of these changes. The best part about professional baseball, maybe relative to other sports, is that we have all of these minor league levels to to try some of these things before we implement them at the major league level. And so, over the last few years, pitch clocks and some of these step off rules and shift restrictions and all of these changes have been tested and tried, and we've actually seen the result of those. So, at the minor league level, you saw close to a half an hour a game get get, get cut off with some of the pitch timer and pitch clock implementation for anybody who got a chance to go to the other, you know, over to St. Paul and see our triple A team last year, those games moved a lot more quickly. And so I think for those that, that have seen that you're going to see a lot more at the major league level, we've seen it already in only a handful of games, how much quicker the pace is. I think that's great for the sport. I think it's great for the fans. I think it's great for everybody. No one's going to complain about that. The step-off rule is probably going to be the most interesting one strategically. You know, we've already seen, guys take off a little bit earlier knowing that they had two step offs or a balk you know will be called as a result you may see more of that early i think we'll iron out a lot of those kinks over the next month before we get to the regular season but we're going to see a more exciting game and a quicker game and ultimately that's that's what our fans want and that's what we all want yeah i mean i i grew up a huge baseball fan i i'll I'll be honest like some of the pace of play time of game stuff has impacted my watching of the game I mean, obviously i watch it professionally still but just as a casual fan that was starting to wear on me in, in recent years did you hear a lot of that from people you talk to as well no question and and michael just like you i grew up a fan right that's where we start you know if you work in this game or you work around sports it's because you just enjoy and you have a passion for it that's where it starts ultimately you have to develop your career from that point forward for for those i think a lot of people think this was somewhat intentional you know within inside the game for those who work in baseball to slow it down and to change the pace for us, it was it felt like this natural evolution we, that we couldn't really figure out why it was happening. You know, there were there were some minor league players who had a pitch clock that would pitch very quickly and then get to the major league level, and over time it would slow down. And, and some of it's strategy, and some of it's taking more time to kind of think through and process the next steps. But I think what this is allowing us to see is that major league players are adaptable. These are some of the best athletes in the world. They'll figure it out with new changes, and I think it's great for our overall sport. I haven't heard anybody yet. Uh, complain about it yeah there's the one-off i didn't see right. the timer i wasn't ready for it but that's just normal ebb and flow of, of implementing something that's new so i think we're going to see everybody from player to staff member to fan to to journalist you know across the board everyone's right. going to enjoy a, a much more fast-paced game now your pitching staff <clears throat> you know I, I i've got you know some pretty just looking at your starting five or your projected or potential starting five if we think about <clears throat> you guys like sunny gray obviously and you know, Tyler Malley, and we're talking about you know Pablo Lopez just acquired in the Luisa Rise trade. Um, you know Joe Ryan, obviously uh, a big piece of this, a big piece of this as well. And I'm forgetting so Alcanta made, of course, and Kenta. maybe Bailey Ober, yeah. things like that. Like all those guys, um, feels like you have the makings of a really you know for for what has been here, like five veteran starters. Or you know, Joe Ryan's not a veteran, but five five guys who are who bring a certain amount of stability to to the starting rotation. Now, it's interesting because I find myself critical a little bit in one way because none of these guys were developed in-house, but also appreciating that this is a good starting rotation. So I I think your sentiment has been, hey, we got to get pitching however we can. If we can develop guys, eventually we will and we are. Uh, But how do you kind of respond to any critiques? And I've, I've critiqued it a little bit, and I think other people have along the way of of acquiring all these guys via trades instead of some of them being grown uh, within the organization. Well, I think, I think it's a, it's a balance, you know, certainly 
Uh, every team does this a little differently, and and you want to you want to have all phases clicking at all times. You want the free agent acquisitions to be great. You want your trade acquisitions to be great. You want your minor league development pipeline to be in a really good place. I think when I look at our team now over the last handful of years and what we've grown through, you know, the 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 period of time around the pandemic, and the loss of minor league seasons, and the impact sure. that had on the growth and development of some of our players did delay some of that. Um, but ultimately, even in my previous experiences prior to coming to Minnesota. You know, a lot of that was acquired via trade. You know, I, uh, my experience in Cleveland, whether it was Corey Kluber or Carlos Carrasco or Trevor Bauer and others, all of those guys were acquired via trade and then developed along the way, both at the major and minor league levels that were no matter how you get it. I, you know, we don't we don't really care. We just want to have the best possible pitching we can have. I look at our group right now as kind of a, the three phases. Some are major league players who we think we can improve and have helped improve along the way. And whether that's getting Kenta Maeda a few years ago, making some adjustments, seeing kind of him flourish in that short season in 2020, that's a real positive for us. Those are the more established veterans. Joe Ryan's a guy who we acquired and we, we had some changes and some ideas to try and help him along the way as a young pitcher. And then I hope that the likes of Bailey Ober and Louis Varland and Simeon Woods Richardson and all these young kids that we hopefully are making real impact with will help us along the way. For us to be successful, it has to be sustainable over time. We've never rebuilt. That's never been our goal. Right. So the goal is to do that, you have to do it on the fly. You have to adjust and adapt on the fly. And ultimately, I hope we, we, we give ourselves a chance to, to get players from all phases of acquisition type. How do you feel about the roster right now? Just as you go into, you know, we were talking, it's early March right now, as you, you know, we're about a month away from the start of the season. Is this roster essentially complete? Because it doesn't feel like there's a ton of things up for grabs right now aside from maybe depth and kind of figuring out what you have like as you evaluate where you are right now how do you feel about this roster and your ability to compete in 2023 yeah when i look at it i, I feel like as we just talked about with the pitching staff maybe the maybe the deepest group we've had you know in, in my time here in terms of the depth of, of veteran starters but also some young guys who can really help us we feel we have back-end bullpen pieces you know joan duran is another guy who yeah. we acquired you know being traded and developed in the minor leagues so i think you know, definitely is somebody we're really proud of what we've seen him grow into. You know, him pitching toward the back end of games, Jorge Lopez, Caleb Fieldbarge, Griffin Jacks kind of turning into what he's been able to turn into. These guys can pitch toward the back end. We feel really good about that. The position player group, as you mentioned, and we feel is pretty established. We want to see the health and development of some of the players that we didn't get to see as much of last year and hope that they continue to progress. But with a bench that, you know, might feature guys like Michael Taylor, Kyle Farmer on given days, you know, that aren't in the starting lineup, uh, it's a deeper group than we've had. So, yes, there aren't as many positions, quote unquote, open for competition. Uh, there are still opportunities for young guys to prepare themselves, to be ready to step in when we need to. We think the roster is is talented enough to go compete and compete among all the American League teams that are hoping to get into the playoffs and, and ultimately make some noise from there. And we feel we're right in that mix. Now, you made the playoffs, I believe, three of the first four years you were you know, this regime has been in charge. And then the last two years obviously didn't go exactly how you wanted them to. A losing season in 21. Last year, different, where you were, uh, you know, up in the division for a lot of time. And then injuries and, you know, performance down the stretch it results in another losing record. Is there, does that create a, a different sense of urgency, a pre- sense of pressure, any different than it has been in previous seasons when you, you know, maybe don't have the grace of the immediate past of, of winning seasons? Yeah, certainly every year, you know, we go in, this has been one of the real benefits for me uh, here is that when I learned, when I got this job all the way through one of the conversations I had with Jim Pollard and Joe Pollard at the time uh, was about how do we continue to compete year in and year out? You know, there's never been this focus on how do we, um, in the game, people talk about taking major steps back for extended periods of time. 
And oftentimes, you know, when I came in here, it was coming off a hundred, hundred plus loss season. Yes. It's normally customary that most people would think that that's going to be a rebuild over time. And every single year we've walked into a season, we've tried to find a way to compete. And, and that I hope is, is, is music to the ears of our fans who want to come out and watch a, game, a team that's trying to get better every year. I approach it no differently this year than I did any previous year, which is how do we find a way to put this team in the best position to be competitive and, and to go win as many games as possible. Certainly there are decisions you have to make in season, whether it's a, a trade deadline you know, period of time where you have to trade away some guys that might be expiring or, or getting toward free agency for future value. That's part of the iterate, iterating of rosters that allow you to not go into that deep rebuild. But I feel like for us this year, it's a team we've invested in. It's a team we think is, is talented. We need to go out and prove that and ultimately go win as many games as we can. Control the things you can't control, which are right in front of you. That's our focus, and that's all we can focus on today. Along those lines, a couple more thoughts for you, Derek Falvey, enjoying this conversation. Um, Byron Buxton is going to be <clears throat> is, is always a question in terms of how, how much you can keep him on the field. And you've changed <clears throat> some of your training staff, things like that, but that's been something throughout his career that's been you know, a, a struggle and, and a and a goal of his to, to be on the field and to be in the outfield in particular. When you talk about controlling what you can control, that's one thing that's been hard to control at times, even though he's so important to you. As you think about his 2023 season and what he's hoping to do, where where is that at right now? Yeah, but, you know, Byron, obviously we talk about how much better we are when he's in the lineup. And, and yes. we've seen stretches of time with Byron that he's doing things in baseball. I don't think many people have ever seen, you know, people do in this right. game. Uh, certainly not in a long time. So I think that we all know how, how how critical that is. He's had his health challenges, no question. And last year we felt like we had a plan coming in and hopefully a plan that was going to put us in a good position. He, you know, as crazy as this sounds for some folks, he played more games last year than he had in the previous five years. And that was in some ways a step in the right direction. But we also want to continue to build off of that. We want to make sure that he's prepared and ready to go. He's prepared and ready to go now. And we'll be thoughtful about that. The nice part about a Michael Taylor acquisition for us ultimately is that we can give him those days um, in a DH slot or maybe a day off and still feel like we have elite gold glove center field defense. Byron's special out there, no question. Michael Taylor is a really good center fielder too. So we feel like the depth to our team maybe allows us to give him the occasional day, keep him as fresh and ready as possible because not only do we want him to play as many regular season games as possible, we need him to be healthy late in the season, ready to go uh, when we're hopefully playing games in October. Last thing, Derek, you've been down in Florida for a while now and we've seen some games already. Anything in terms of, I don't want to say surprises, but you know, early looks at players where you're like, oh, wow, like maybe this is an impact this person could have sooner than we thought or just anybody who is a, a camp surprise is kind of generic, but like anybody that you've seen that, have, that, have, that has turned your head so far. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, the one of the things that really I, I underestimated last year was when we when we traded four players or brought players in after the lockup had ended, we realized that everyone was coming in in a very different spot. You know, candidly, there were some players that probably thought we weren't playing baseball until midsummer, that, that there wasn't going to be a season until maybe somewhere in the summer. So they didn't want to get as ramped up for a season and then cool it down and then have to ramp up sure. again. There were others who were fully ready to go. This offseason, we've been able to stay in touch with our players. You know, again, we couldn't communicate with players last offseason. That was hmm. against the rules. Yeah. So this offseason, we were so prepared and so locked in with the Sonny Grays and the Tyler Malleys and you know, some of these players that at the end of the year, we wanted to get on a good plan. So it's been fun to see where those guys have come in, to see where Sonny is right now, the way he's throwing the ball, the way Tyler Malley is right now. Pablo Lopez, even, you know, even after the acquisition, learning some things about his mix and maybe making some adjustments. So I'm excited about the pitching staff. 
Now, guys like Griffin Jacks continue to grow and get better. The stuff even looks even better than it was a year ago, which seemed to really be a benefit to us late in the season. Jose Miranda, you know, a lot's been made of Jose and, and what he did last year as a rookie, and he was a bright spot for us late in the season. Um, he's, he's in great shape. He's really physically in a good place. This guy committed to a great offseason. I'm excited about what his year looks like ahead. So we have some young players mixing in with some guys who are a little bit more veteran that have committed to an offseason that are going to hopefully push them uh, meaningfully steps ahead that, that can give us a chance to make a big impact. With Jose, is that an internal thing or is that a Carlos Correa pushing him in a certain direction? <laughs> You know, it was a combination at the end of last year, to be honest. I mean, we had a conversation with with Jose about the importance of, hey, if he wanted to play third base and he wanted to give himself a chance to be more flexible in different spots, that lateral agility and movement were going to be really important. And Carlos also preached that to him and talked about how young he was and how important mobility is and how moving around the field is. So it's, it's one of those great things about Carlos is he looks at the game a lot like we do, and he understands a lot of the advanced uh, data, statistics, or otherwise that might, you know, signal to a guy, hey, your your first step, your movement, things like that need to be more in line with major league average or better if you're going to continue to progress defensively. He can help support some of the messages that we're giving, uh, that the coaching staff is giving, that the performance staff, the strength and conditioning, and medical folks are doing as well. And so it just gives us a chance to really to surround some players with some veteran leadership who, who believe in what we believe in and ultimately a staff that can help support those development plans. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting year, I think. I mean, I you know when you come off a year where most of it was good last year, and then you know you hit some hit some spots, and you feel like maybe you've solved some of that with with the training and hopefully getting players healthier. I guess one maybe my final thought, and, and I'll, I'll want to hear what you think. Like I I'm having a hard time getting a good read on this team. I just I, I'm kind of interested to see how the year plays out, but I don't really have a great prediction for this year and usually i feel like i do is are, are you do you have a better read on it than i do i, I hope you do but i, I want to know if you still feel like there's a a level of kind of volatility in terms of performance at this point well i think any given year when you walk in you know you're you have you have hope you have optimism around a lot of things you know every team says that and feels that way that said i, I think when i look at our roster and i think about everything we just talked about the depth of the starting pitching staff some young pitchers who got exposure and experience late last year that i think will help them and benefit them developmentally for in the inevitable when we need to go grab one of those guys to come help us at the big league level i think this is the, the only thing you can control at the outset is how talented do you think the major league roster is and how much depth do you have to protect yourself over the course of the season i feel like we're in a, as good a place as we could possibly be right now you know it was a, it was a great offseason we were able to acquire a lot of talent to this roster and we feel we have some good young players already on the club so uh, hopefully we see more of what we saw in the first half of last year in terms of uh, the performance that we had, the continued progression, and ultimately match that up with a lot of the health. So I'm optimistic, certainly, as I walk into this season. I think this is a team that could go compete. Uh, we don't get any credit for being optimistic. You know, you have to go win the games and you have to go play them. And we think there's there's real talent in the division. I mean, Cleveland is a young team that grew and developed and played well down the stretch last year. Uh, they have to be the favorites. They were the team that won the division last year. The White Sox roster is talented. You know, they didn't have the season they had hoped they would have last year, but they still have a lot of that talent on that team. And ultimately, Kansas City and Detroit are growing and developing and trying to get better. And there's some young players that, as we've all seen in the past, can can strike right. you up if they have really good seasons. So there's a lot of competitive competition here. We hope we're right in the middle of that and putting ourselves in a great position come September. We'll see where it all shakes out. Derek Falvey, appreciate your time today. Get some of that sun. Bring it. Bring a little bit back when you come. Maybe a little bit earlier summer than uh, than always. And uh, we'll we'll catch up with you soon. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. As always, and we'll uh, we'll do our best to bring it back with us on the flight back. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Derek. Take care.
appreciated the chance to talk to uh, Derek Falvey. Always enjoy those conversations with him, um, just getting a better sense of the roster building this year with the Twins. Um, good news for him on Thursday as well. Kent Maeda pitching two scoreless innings for the Twins. They beat Tampa Bay 4-2 to two in a spring game on on Thursday. So for us, starting rotation looking pretty good. And I do get the sense that, that Derek Falvey, sensitive is the wrong word, but I, th- I feel like he is in a mode where he um, will defend the roster building, will defend the fact that all five of the projected starters were acquired via trade. Uh, and maybe we need to let go of that. Maybe I need to let go of that a little bit and understand that what would you rather have, a good starting rotation acquired by trade or the hope of development that hasn't arrived yet? Um, there will be time for that. They'll, they'll, they're going to need some of these younger guys at some point that were drafted and developed that have had their development stall a little bit along the way. I think it's important to realize and remember that a lot of this development got derailed during the pandemic where there was an entire minor league season wiped out a draft that was really strange, a five-round draft in 2020 that was very strange. So maybe we can give them a little bit of grace. They put together a good pitching staff, a good starting rotation at least this season. And uh, that'll probably tell the story as much as anything with the Twins this year. And Right now it does look pretty good. So appreciate Derek Falvey's time and hope you enjoyed that uh, that talk as well. Let's finish with the cooler. So the Wild made a couple trades earlier this week. Um, one of them, Gustav Nyquist, not going to play for a while, but Marcus Johansson um, gets his debut with the Wild. We're talking about maybe having a little bit more balance with the scoring, a little bit more firepower, putting him up on that second line with Matt Boldy and Joel Eriksenek. And on Thursday, it's the exact same thing that's been happening. Not a bad thing, per se, because they won 2-1, to one, but good goaltending and Kirill Kaprizov remained the, uh, <laughs> remained the formula for uh, for now at least it was uh, you know pretty much uh, pretty much the, the Kirill Kaprizov show. He took nine shots, scored both of their goals in a two to one win. Um, Mark Andre Fleury twenty two uh, twenty two shots, twenty one saves. The Wild close it down at the end. You know a lot of the scoring was all done by you know by the second period. Nothing in the third. But again, they keep stacking up these points. They keep stacking up wins. Guess it doesn't really matter ultimately how they do it. I just thought it was kind of funny that. If the goal was to add maybe more scoring punch, more scoring balance, instead the first game out of that tr- that those trades, and especially the Johansson trade and the remade lines, was exactly like what we've been seeing lately. But maybe more to come down the road. That'll do it for me today. That'll do it for me this week, I think. At least, like I said, in case there's more breaking news. My goodness, it's been a, uh, a big stretch here. You never know, but uh, I think that'll be it. We'll be back at it Monday with Roycey. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and weekend, and I'll talk to you then.